you got to get passionate about this thing. If the cross doesn't move you, nothing will move you. I'm offering you something that's greater than silver and gold. I'm offering you something that's greater than an increase in your pay on your job. I'm offering you a... There's no shortcuts to the glory. Week to week living. We've got to multiply our prayer life. We've got to multiply our efforts. And we are willing to give. God will always give it back to us in good measure that is pressed down, shaken together, and running over. Hey, thanks for checking out our Christian Life Church podcast. You will be hearing from one of our pastors or guest speakers, either at our Frankfurt or Lebanon campus. Prepare your hearts and your minds to receive a word from God. Thanks for listening. Enjoy and receive this message. Hallelujah. Acts chapter 20. If you have your Bibles, I may preach for a little bit tonight, so I'm going to rush in and move as rapidly as possible because I recognize that for many, you have already been part of two previous services and now here tonight. And and let me say to uh, the sound team, Brother Sam and Brother Corey, and when I left today, Brother Jeremy was here as well. Um, We had sound technical problems this morning. We had an amp go out in one of our subs, and it created sound havoc all morning. And this team worked diligently to bring us good quality sound tonight and thank you these technical folks they don't get near enough accolades and recognition for all the things that they do our live stream is up and coming and getting better and uh, some of you the Lord moves on you and you'd like to go through some training to help in some of these areas, there's always opportunity for people to learn and grow. And so we pray that God does lay that on your heart. We have some teams that need help and um, they're doing a great job with what they have to work with, but many hands would make a lighter load. Somebody say amen. Acts chapter 20 and verse number 26, wherefore I take you to record this day that I am pure from the blood of all men. For I have not shunned to declare unto you all the counsel of God. Take heed therefore unto yourselves and to all the flock over which the Holy Ghost hath made you overseers to feed the church of God which he hath purchased with his own blood. For I know this, that after my departing shall grievous wolves enter in among you, not sparing the flock. Also of your own selves shall men arise, speaking perverse things to draw away disciples after them. Now, I realize tonight that my platform is small. I I only have an ear of a selected group of people that I'm privileged to pastor, most of which are in this room tonight. 
thank you for letting me speak what I feel God has laid upon my heart. My voice tonight will ring out into the ears and hearts of this local congregation, those few that may be listening online, and, be, and will be received by those who tune their ear to listen to my voice as their shepherd. But I believe the subject that I'm preaching about tonight is more widespread than this local assembly. I believe God is sending a message to the apostolic movement in general. There is a spirit that is on the loose. It's on the loose in our churches. It's a spirit of spiritual consumerism. Tonight, I speak to the church world and I call the apostolic church to take a close look and to take an intentional step away from spiritual consumerism. By the help of the Lord tonight, I want to preach to you the calamity of consumer Christians the calamity of consumer Christians. Now, I need your help tonight. I want you just to set your Bibles down and don't let me do the praying tonight. I'm going to ask you to pray. First, I want you to pray for your pastor that God gives me strength and courage and wisdom. But I, I, I need you to pray that God would open our hearts and that all distractions would dissipate and that the Word of God, we could focus for the next little while on the Word of God and let God speak what He wants to speak to our hearts. Would you pray that prayer right now? In the name of Jesus, speak, Lord, speak, Lord, speak, Lord. Let your voice be heard tonight through my words. Let our hearts be open and pliable to receive the word. Let us be more than hearers, but let us be doers. In the name of Jesus, in the name of Jesus, give the Lord a hand clap of praise as you're seated tonight. Consumerism is the idea that encourages the attainment and collection of goods and services for one's own use and enjoyment in ever-increasing amounts. Consumerism is the belief that personal well-being and happiness depends to a very large extent on the level of personal consumption. The rise of prosperity led to the emergence of American consumerism. It's very obvious to see to the untrained eye that consumerism is everywhere. It's an upsell at the convenience store. It's an upsell at the drive-through window. It's an upsell regardless what you're purchasing in America. There's always more to be offered. A consumerist society is one which people devout, devote a great deal of time, energy, and resources and thought to consuming. A general view of life in a, in a consumeristic society is that consumption is good and more consumption is even better. The United States is a great example of 
what economists called hyper-consumerism. The size of an average house in America has more than doubled since the 1960s, while family sizes have been on rapid decline. We live in houses more than twice the size of homes built prior to the 1960s, and our family sizes are less than half the size that they were in the 1960s. We require more and we produce less. I don't speak regarding economics tonight, but rather I call the church to take a closer look, to examine herself and to take an intentional step away from spiritual consumerism. The church was never intended to develop a mentality of consumerism, yet it seems to be drifting into the church. The church was designed to be continually on a mission, a single mission of reaching the lost. If the church is going to be effective in reaching our world in these last days, she needs to move away from consumerism and we need to become producers. More than consumers, more than parrots of what we have heard, we need to become producers that is effective in taking the gospel around the world and into the highways and byways, across the aisle, across the street, and across town. The spirit of consumerism is all about me. It's for me. It asks the question, what's in it for me? My consumption and my enjoyment is the most important thing. It's real. It's part of American society. But it never should be part of the church. We must realign our focus and our priorities as a local assembly. If I may tonight speak directly to this congregation for a few moments and call out some spirits of consumerism that can sneak into the church, that can creep its way in and so, so slyly affect every member of the congregation. The spirit of consumerism is a critical spirit. The spirit of consumerism is a critical spirit. It looks for what is wrong in my eyes. It's the way I see it through my eyes. It's the way I think it ought to be. Pastors should pastor the way I see it. Music should be the way I think it should be. Programs should run according to my specifications and plans. A critical spirit poses as the spirit of discernment. But it's a lying and deceptive spirit. It preys on the weak and on the innocent. It says, I am superior, you are inferior. Listen to what I have to say. I know more than everyone else. This spirit pushes the leadership to adjust the church 
to make everybody else happy. Or else I'll take my toys and I'll go home. I'll tell you what we need in the church today. We need a church that will pray and fast for a genuine spirit of discernment to truly know what is of God and what is of man. We need to pray for a spirit to overcome us that will cause every member of Christian Life Church to look for ways that will make us more effective than we have ever been in reaching the lost. Contrary to popular opinion, I and this church am not in competition with any other church within driving distance or around our globe. We are on the same team with every Jesus name church that is preaching the apostolic doctrine. The issue is that we get critiques and criticism wrong. A coach critiques with an intention of getting the best out of you. But a criticizer critiques in secret, holds private and personal meetings, and critiques to find fault with everything that they seem doesn't go the way they think it should. They critique with no intention to help us be better, but rather to draw men away and to draw men into their clique, into their group, into their text group, with no intention of making things better. But a coach, a coach critiques with intention of pulling a player up, of making somebody better, of causing the team to win. But criticism, criticism harms. Criticism pushes down. Criticism says I'll fold my arms if it's not who I think ought to be in the pulpit. Criticism says if it's not the song I like, I won't participate. I can only get in the aisle and dance and shout. I can only rave on social media when things went the way that I saw, thought it should go. It's a, it's a critical spirit. The spirit of consumerism also is revealed in a, as a complaining spirit. It complains about things that don't benefit them or their agenda. In Numbers chapter 11, Israel began to complain. They began to complain against Moses, but God took it personal. I want you to hear that, so I'll say it again. They complained against Moses, but God took it personal because God appointed him and they complained against Moses God took it personal and the 11th chapter of the book of Numbers said and it angered God the spirit of consumerism complains as a form of control and rebellion it causes whispering. It's a spirit that tries to force the hand of leadership. It's the spirit of Korah. It will gather a group, 
and it'll lead division and rebellion and separate in a New York minute. The third spirit, the third spirit of consumerism is a condescending spirit. This spirit is rooted in the spirit of pride. It's an arrogant spirit that parades itself as false humility. The spirit speaks down to others. It's busier than others. It has more to do than others. There's more on its agenda than others. All the while positioning itself for its great getaway. It assumes a position of authority and control and power. It's a Jezebel spirit. It assumes to know more than God. And it's willing to kill the prophets in order to gain control. There's no room for such spirits in the church. For those of you that are nervous, this is my message. I didn't download it. God gave it to me in my living room about two weeks ago. I sat down and started writing, and I've been writing ever since. So if you think this is going to be a short one, go home. Because we're going to be here a while tonight. Because the Bible says, neither give place to the devil. And I come tonight as a word of warning to, cons to the consumeristic spirit that would like to hide in the pews of the church and come to tell you that this church is destined for revival, destined for growth. This isn't our final, re our final resting place. We're just getting started. I'm going to go ahead and preach it like I feel it tonight. But the last two weeks, I've been under severe personal attack from many areas, not from people, but from spirits. I want you to hear it right. It's not anybody. I don't know anybody talking against the pastor. If I did, I wouldn't deal with it from the pulpit. I don't know anybody against me personally. But I do know that there is an adversary. The Bible calls him the devil. And he's been going to and fro. And he's kept me awake at night. And he's warred in my mind and he has fought me on every level. But I come tonight to tell you that we must never give space for the devil. I don't... I'm the pastor, and I don't even like everything that we do as a church. But it's not about my likes, not about my preferences. It's about what God is wanting to do in the church and through the church and where he wants to take the church. Be seated for a minute because I want to take my time and be clear in the things that I have to say tonight. Because I don't just want to point out what the Spirit is, but I want to tell you how we war against the Spirit, how we overcome the Spirit. And before we leave tonight, I pray to God we put the devil under our feet. I'll tell you what we need to do. Instead 
of complaining. We need to rectify issues that arise among us by dealing directly with the problem or with the issue. Because if we leave a door cracked open, the devil will come in. We need to repair issues instead of spreading the word. We don't need to give space to the devil. If there is a vacancy somewhere, we need to feel personal responsibility. Whether you are the newest member or the oldest member, the longest term member in the church, it doesn't really matter. We all need to take ownership and become producers instead of consumers. What I'm saying to you, if you see a door left open, you need to feel personal responsibility to close it. If there is a vacancy, you need to feel personal responsibility to fulfill it. Because we need to produce what is missing instead of complaining, finding fault, and pointing out to everyone else what is wrong in the church or in someone else's life. As a matter of fact, we are a group of people with issues. No perfect people attend church here. Every perfect person in the room could go ahead and be dismissed. Or either I need to step down off the platform and let you come because I'm filled with failures. I'm human. And so are you. There are no perfect people. This is not a perfect church. But we serve a perfect God. And just because I don't appreciate something that someone does or the way someone acts or what someone says or the way someone dresses or what someone drives or where someone goes doesn't mean that I need to spread the word all over the congregation. As a matter of fact, even if it's sin and they fail, the Bible said to restore. Oh, don't make me come out there and preach tonight. The Bible said to restore such a one that has fallen. Even when there is a mistake, this church needs to be a restoration station that doesn't push imperfect people out the door, but we pull them in and say, let me pray with you about your fault. Let me help you overcome. So we need to produce what is missing. There has been a huge catchphrase. I think it was launched a few years ago, perhaps at Because of the Times. At least the first time that I ever heard it, Brother Terry Shock preached a message on Be the Church. And since I've heard it preached and re-preached and used and reused, and it's become a catchphrase. It was a pivotal point for the church. And he preached a marvelous message, and I've listened to it on more than one occasion. Be the church. It's been renamed, and people have called it Be the Change, Be the Church. Every person under the sound of my voice needs to hear what I'm preaching. This is our church. And 
this is, our, this is our church. In other words, I belong. I am part of this church. If, if you just, uh, I know we tell you to do this, and I, I, I watch, and sometimes it's not effective because some just refuse. I think they refuse because if we ask somebody to do something, there's some that just going to refuse to do it. But, but it, would you look at your neighbor and tell them this is your church? Mm-hmm. And, and the other neighbor, go ahead and tell them. Two or three people around you. Just look at them and tell them this is your church. Because I, I want you to feel this. As a matter of fact, I, I look around the room tonight. I, I'm, I don't know. I, I don't know. There's sister. I see Sister Fishback sitting back over here on the side. Sister Fishback, I love you. She's probably, she's probably our eldest member in the church. She's here on a snowy, icy Sunday night because she loves God and loves the church. You're important here. I know music styles have changed, but thank you for showing up on Sunday night. I know the things we thank you for being here. Young people, some of the victory that we live in is a product of that generation's prayer and faithfulness and service. This church was launched in her living room in 1965. But even if you're the newest member of the church, and I don't know, last Sunday, I was walking out to my office. Brother Jason, you and your wife stand up. I went walking by. These folks drive all the way from Indianapolis. He said, I've never felt love like this. He said, Pastor, this is my church. This is my church. Brother Jason, I love you and your family, and you're part of this church. This isn't going to be your church. This is your church now. Whether you are the newest member or the eldest member in this church, this is your church. And if there is something that needs to be done, we need to step in. Because one thing I never find in this book is a place that any of us are supposed to retire. And as far as I understand, when God saved them, He added them to the church. He didn't say you got to sit down for six weeks or six months. He saved them and added them to the church. And they were part of the church until He called them home. Let me stay with my notes. Consumer Christianity will not bring the fulfillment that any of us desire. We must be about our Father's business. You may not be able to do many things. I look up on this platform. I remember I came here. I think my wife and I restarted a choir almost 30 years ago after I think Brother Phil had led a choir. Prior, I came here from Texas, fresh out of Bible college. My wife and I started, restarted a choir. There was about 12 or 13 
I don't even I don't remember everybody that was part of the choir, but I remember my mother-in-law and Paula and Sister Nancy. If you were part of the choir back then in about along about 1990, 1991, 1992, if you were part of the choir back then, why don't you stand and they're going to see who the real old timers are. Look at this. Look at this. Look around you. Still here, still faithful, still worshiping, still singing. Not everybody has a voice to sing. Not everybody has a calling to preach. But every one of us have been called to make disciples. I borrow from the words a seminar that I sat through a few days ago with Brother Raymond Woodward. He said Jesus didn't ask for volunteers. He chose 12 disciples to follow him. He told fishermen, follow me and I will make you fishers of men. They didn't come to him with talent and ability. They didn't come to him ready to be able to go out and win the world. But Jesus said, if you'll follow me, I will make you. If you'll follow me, I will make you. I, this is a call to Christian Life Church tonight. Some of us need to step out from where we've been and allow God to start making us and forming us. If every member of this church would begin by making a list, if you would make a list of everybody that you know that doesn't attend church, if you'd write that list and then go down that list, and I want you, this is a challenge, this is a homework assignment that I want to send home with you tonight. I want you to make a list of everybody that you know that doesn't attend church. And I want you to go down that list, and then I want you to refine that list and I want you to refine that list again. And I want you to hone that list down to 10 or 12 people. 10 or 12 individuals that are the most likely people that you feel led of God, that they would be the most likely people for you personally to be able to reach and to make a disciple. You don't go to them and say, hey, I want you to be my disciple. That's not going to work. Put them on your list. Start praying for them. Start asking God for opportunity to connect with them. Start looking for the opportunity. Start making the phone call. Start sending the text message. Start stopping by for a visit. Start inviting them over for dinner. Start just, just spending time with them. You don't have to bring them to church. If every member of this church would create a list would check it twice, would get it down to a small group of about 10 people and would start influencing them. By the end of this year, if you would hone in on one person that you would start spending time with on a weekly basis as your personal disciple, they don't have to know they're your disciple. You can do it. This is a proven method. Bishop Stan Gleason has established this in his church. His church is exploding in growth. He personally is doing it. He said his personal disciple, it took him three years 
years until one day they had chaos in their home and he got a knock on the door and his neighbor said, I need you. It doesn't matter if it takes three weeks, three months, or three years. If you'll keep on, this building will not be able to hold the revival that God will send if this church, everybody, will start making disciples. All right, thank you for the support and the hand clap. Sit down. Because I want everybody on board now. I want you to look at that, those neighbors. And I want you to say, he's talking to you. You can make a disciple. Go ahead. Look around you and tell them. He's talking. Because I want everybody to get this. This isn't for one or two. We're, we're, talking about, we're talking about doubling our attendance in the matter of, a, of just the next few months. Next year or two, this church could be double the size it is right now. It's possible. He chose fishermen to be leaders, men that knew how to catch fish, to be leaders of people because he said, if you'll follow me. It took him three and a half years of training and they went out and turned the world upside down. I wonder what would happen if everybody in this church would say, I want to be part of a church growth team that can reach somebody and make a disciple. I'm calling out some consumer Christians to leave the comforts of their old life and trade it in for a new life. Leave your nets. Break ties with your past. Set your affections on things that are above. Build your hopes on things that are eternal. Build some new relationships that are going the same direction as you are. Refocus on why we do what we do. Buy into the church. It's the best place. The church is the best place for your most important investments. Just letting it set in for a minute. Buy into the church. The church is the best place for your most important investments. You want your family to do more than attend here. You need to see to it they are plugged in here. You want your kids to get plugged in? You get plugged in. Get plugged in. This is not going to be a church that 20% of the people do 80% of the work. I'm calling every one of us to get plugged in. This is your church. It is our job to take this message to the streets to win somebody. When we stand on judgment day, I want to have some people that said, I'm here because of this man. We need to buy into the church with our time, with our talents, and with our treasure. Your time is important. What would happen if we started tithing on our time? More than just showing up to church, but truly tithing on our time. And saying, God gave me 24 hours today. I'm going to give him two hours 
2.4 hours. What, what in the world would happen if we started spending that time in prayer and that time in evangelism? I'm talking about revival. We, we wouldn't have to come in and say, oh, come on, clap your hand. We'd be, we'd be having to say, y'all sit down. We need disciple makers. We don't need more directors. We need disciple makers. You may not be able to teach a Bible study, but you can be a friend. You can go get coffee. You can make a phone call. You can build a relationship. I know. I know I hear the excuses. I don't enjoy that type thing. They're not going to enjoy eternity in hell either. And we're not going to enjoy their blood being on our hands because I read to you a text tonight where the apostle said, for I am not going to have your blood on my hands for I declared unto you the whole counsel of God. There is a responsibility on the church to declare the whole gospel to the whole world. And if not, we have a, we're going to have their blood. We're going to have to answer to God for why we let them slip by us, why we went to dinner with them and never testified to them, why we never reached for them not my thing pastor you know what he said wash one another's feet and I don't enjoy it any more than you do he also said go make disciples and I would rather go fishing My personality lends itself to locking myself away in my office, getting my computer and studying and reading and coming out on Sunday and preaching my message and retiring back to my office. I would be perfectly happy with that, surrounded only by my family. That's what my personality would say. But let me tell you what I have to do because it is a commandment of the Lord and because He has called me to step out of the confines of who my base personality is and say I've got to get out and work with people and reach people and lead people because he called a stuttering man from the backside of a Midian desert to go and talk to a, to a Pharaoh and tell him to let the people go. And here's what he said, Moses, you don't have the ability to lead. What you do, you don't have the ability to deliver. All I want you to do, Moses, is you go and you just tell him to let the people go. If you'll be my voice, I will do the delivering. Some of us think, oh, I don't have the ability if you'll do what God tells you to do he'll do what you can't do you can visit with them you can take them to coffee oh pastor I thought we were only supposed to bring them to church to hear our wonderful choir and to listen to you preach listen once you build a relationship with them then you can invite them to come and be part. But sometimes we get this all wrong. We pick up a phone, call somebody we hadn't talked to in a year or two and say, hey, you want to go to church with me? And they say no and we get discouraged. I wonder what would happen if we built a relationship with them and then waited at the right time when the Lord, when we were sensitive to the Holy Ghost and we said, well, why don't you just come go to church with me Sunday? Your wife's out of town. Well, come on, go to church with me. Oh, Pastor, I just thought it was supposed to be you that did this kind of work. Listen, you can run all over town with a Bible study under your arm. 
People do not care how much you know until they know how much you care. This church is not about me. It's not about my likes and dislikes. It is about a lost world. We're not doing this for my pleasure or for yours. Chick-fil-A exists for the pleasure of those to serve you. Every time you place an order, my pleasure, I'm thinking, no, your paycheck. However, this is not for your pleasure or mine. I enjoy being in church. But our worship is for Him. He is the audience. And my preaching is not to tickle your ears and cause you to say, wow, I love it when pastor does this and says it this way and the crowd responds and Dylan and Isaac are on the music backing him up with the organ. I like all of that. It's not about your enjoyment. It's about reaching the lost for the preaching of the gospel. So the church has to stop consuming so much and start producing more than we are consuming. Can I say it again? We need to start producing more than we are consuming. Otherwise, we will become fat, lethargic Christians that only worship on my favorite song, Maybe I'm meddling too much. It's too late on Sunday for all this. Webster says consumerism is the protection or promotion of the interests of consumers. The protection or promotion of the interests of consumers. That's the real, Webster says that's the meaning of consumerism. The growth of consumerism has led many organizations to improve their service and their customer base. But the problem with the church is that we have followed every business practice, and, and some of them are good, many of them are good, but when it comes to consumerism in the church, we can work so diligently toward pleasing everybody that we fail to be obedient to the voice of God. The problem in the church is that the church has lost sight of who the customer actually is. We've built a church to satisfy me, to satisfy its membership, to satisfy its tithe base, our likes, our dislikes, our tastes, and to meet our needs and the needs of our family. That is consumerism. We have segregated the church by cultures, languages, locations, preferences, music styles, and preaching styles. 
We forget that God never intended for the church to be about us, what we liked, what we preferred, what we disliked. But God added us to the church so that we could be part of the mission of reaching the lost. The church was never supposed to be about who can, who can fill the building the fastest and who can build the greatest building or who can have the greatest number or who can sway people into their group or under their leadership or dictatorship but the church has developed into a business for the ministry and a place for religious consumers to be fed at a table of power, greed, popularity and position Sadly, the church has departed from being called the house of prayer and has adopted the spirit of consumerism and the the platform has been traded in and used as a stage. The church has morphed into a secret society catering to what we like, what we enjoy, what makes us happy. Do it my way. Do it right away. And do it now. Don't ever get this wrong. I love the church. I enjoy the church. My greatest joy is to see my three sons and my wife in this, on this platform, out in the field of labor, working in ministry, here and abroad, I find no greater joy than knowing my children walk in truth. At, this, at my core, I am one of the deepest lovers of music of anyone that I know. I love a good worship service. I love our music. I love our singing. I love our choir. Matter of fact, I'm going to use some words of the Apostle Paul and switch them just a little bit. I enjoy church more than you all. I enjoy every part of the church. I love preaching. I love fellowship. I'm good with having longer worship services. I'm good with having more preaching. I'm good with adding services and not cutting services out. My life revolves around the church. I love this place. I find my greatest joy here. My friends are here. Everybody I'm connected with pretty much is here around the church. This is my family. This is my future. But even though I enjoy singing and hearing good singing, even though I enjoy preaching and hearing good preaching, worship was never intended to glorify me, to satisfy me. He is the audience of my worship and preaching was never to fill my belly, but it was to reach the lost. We have dumbed down preaching to terms of our favorite meal being prepared for us to enjoy and making us feel good. Our preaching was never intended to be comfort food. For the preaching of the gospel is for the saving of the lost. Unfortunately, the calamity of consumer Christians 
have pushed Christianity, loosely stated. Pastors have become entertainers, business administrators, counselors, and everyone's best friends doing life together. But that was never the purpose of the fivefold ministry. Ephesians chapter 4, verse number 12, the apostle Paul spoke very clearly that the ministry was God's gift to the church. And he said it was for the perfecting of the saints, for the work of ministry, and for the edifying or the building up of the body of Christ. My job is to preach words that are perfecting us. I am to do the work of ministry, and I am to build up the church. That's my job, and that is the work of fivefold ministries. Can I speak to our preachers and ministers in the room tonight? Preachers, this is not sideline work. Preaching is not a hobby. The call to ministry is a God calling. If you're called of God, you know you're called of God. And there's no question about a God calling. It is a lifetime calling. It's not about creating a downline, building sponsorships, or signing up ministry partners so that I can travel around the world. It is about people's souls that are at stake. We've got to reach them and save them, even by fear, pulling them out of the fire. This is the ministry of God. God. We have a job to do, and it's greater than anything else that we can do in the world. If you're called to ministry, don't ever stoop to be the president of the United States. For the calling of God is the greatest calling that God could ever. I humbly preach to you tonight, but I want to tell you it is the greatest honor in all the world to be called to preach the gospel. But it's more than just about preacher religion. There is a job to do. And the most satisfying and gratifying thing that I have ever done is when I've sat at a table with my wife, with a, with a, with a Bible open, with, with people that don't know anything about this truth, and I break the bread of life to them and begin to show them the way of salvation and answer their questions and begin to show them here O Israel the Lord our God is one and his name is Jesus and Jehovah of the Old Testament is Jesus in the new and his name is the name above all others and all things we do in word or deed we do it all in the name of Jesus and that means that we are to repent and be baptized in his name and when we are we're filled with the Holy Ghost and they look at you and say I gotta be baptized in Jesus name I need to re-. it's the greatest thing that could ever happen. You know what the church needs? The church needs spirit-led Christians. Spencer Bragg today, he's been in Ocala, Florida, uh, Ocala, Florida all week long. Bragged 84 degrees, called me multiple times a day. He's in Indiana, I don't even hear from him. I call him, he calls me back at midnight. Hey dad, you try to call me today. He gets to Ocala, he's down on the beach, calling me every few minutes, FaceTiming, hey dad, it's 85 degrees, what's, what you doing? 
He was actually working there. He was doing a job this week. And he was there working. He had some free time. Was able to get out and enjoy enjoy the, the weather and walk out on the beach for 15 or 20 minutes. But while he was there, the Holy Ghost moved on him. He shared this story in Lebanon today. I didn't even know, Spence. The Holy Ghost moved on him, and he felt led to walk up to a house and knock on a door. Here he is working out of town in Ocala, Florida. He doesn't know anybody, not connected with any church, not there on any mission. He walks up to a door and knocks on a door, and a lady answers the door, and he said, I know you may think I'm crazy. I'm just a young man from Indiana, but God sent me here and told me to knock on your door. And a lady looked at him and her eyes filled with tears and she said, come in, I'm recovering from cancer. He said, God sent me here to pray for you. He prayed for her and declared healing over her body. She sat down with him. He opened his Bible and gave her a Bible study. And at the end of it, he said, what do you think? She said, I need to get better so I can get to a church and be baptized in Jesus' name. On vacation. Working out of town. He contacted the local church, gave them the contact information. They're reaching out, going to baptize that lady in Jesus' name. That's what we need in Christian Life Church. Spirit-led people that are knock on a door when God says, go right there. Pulpits are built. They're not given. Pastor can't give you a ministry. You've got to build a ministry. You've got to lay. And if you don't want it more than you want everything in the world, you're never going to have it because the devil will fight you with everything you have. Some of these young men and young ladies are going to be some of the greatest revivalists, preachers, singers, missionaries. The devil's going to fight you with everything you have. Don't ever, don't ever let the devil stop you. Keep on, keep on, keep on. I got to hurry. I'm not interested in using my small platform to sway people for a political party. There's a world that needs Jesus. I'm not using my social media to sway political parties. The Lord convicted me over that a long time ago. As a matter of fact, if I post something, I want it to be advertising the church or lifting up the church, supporting people, maybe connecting with somebody that I haven't connected with, Whatever I do, I don't ever want it to be about somebody else's political party, somebody else's agenda. My kingdom, Jesus said, is not of this world. There's a world that needs Jesus. And I believe with every ounce of my fiber that God called me to lead this church.
I'm not trying to be sensational tonight. I'm not trying to be sensational. I'm trying to preach my heart. I believe Jesus called me to lead this church. I don't like winter. And I got to get saved several times every winter. But the thing that keeps me here is not even that my wife is from here and my family is here. But it's that something inside me lets me know God called me here. And it's my job to protect this church. And to preach to this church. And to cast vision for this church. And if we fall short in every area and every ministry. And we all fall short from time to time. But if we fall short in every other area, I want this church to be the kind of church that makes it hard for people to go to hell. I know churches that try to make it hard for people to be saved. If I err, I want to err on the side of mercy. I want to see the world saved. I, I'll let God sort out who the goat and sheeps are, but I am going to preach the gospel, and I believe that everybody within driving distance of this church are our responsibility to reach. I'm closing. You can stand. I'm calling for disciple makers. This altar call may be a little different from others. I feel deeply stirred in my spirit. At times, I preach messages. And at the conclusion... I have delivered the sermon. I don't feel the responsibility for it after I've preached it. I walk away and go to eat, and I feel fine, and I feel the load lifted. I don't feel that tonight. What I preach to you tonight, I still feel like the load is just as heavy on me now as it was two weeks ago when the Lord laid it on my heart. And as I have approached this service tonight, I have felt a stronger, more compelling spirit to reach the lost than I have felt in a very, very long time. I don't want this to be another altar call that we all come and stand in the front. Look around at one another waiting for some soul that sheds a few tears and lifts their hands so we can all gather around them and everybody else looks on. That's not what this altar call tonight needs to look like. I'm calling for disciple makers. I'm calling people who will make it a priority in their life. I may never preach on a platform. I may never sing on a stage. Or maybe you do. But more than I want to preach more than I want to sing, more than I want to lead a ministry, more than I want to be in charge. I want to be a disciple maker.
I want to be a soul winner. I'm calling for soul winners. You may feel like I don't have the tools. If you will follow him, he will make you fishers of men. I feel it in the Holy Ghost tonight that if some would just make a commitment to the Lord, maybe you've made that commitment before, but more now than ever, if you would make a commitment to say, I'm going to be a disciple maker. Can I find a few tonight? Can I find a few that would step out from where you are and walk down to this front and say, I don't have to have a position. I don't have to have a microphone. I don't have to have a stage. I want to reach the lost. Are there consumers in the house that are ready to walk away from a consumerism mentality to do the will of God? Are there some folks that are willing to walk down to the front of this room tonight? Say, when I go home tonight, I'm going to start my list. I'm going to define that list down to a group of 10 or 12. I'm going to begin to pray every day for them. I'm going to begin to reach out to them. And I'm going to find the three most receptive people. And when I find the three most responsive and receptive people, I'm going to focus and target in on them. And I'm going to reach to them until God allows me to walk with them to the altar. God's calling the church tonight. He's calling us off of Xbox. He's calling us off of Facebook and social media. He's calling us off of the television set and entertainment. He's calling us to do the work of ministry. God's calling us. He's calling us. Now I want you to make this very personal. Some are kneeling, some are standing. But if you step forward tonight, I want you just to close your eyes to where you are. Not praying for anybody else, but praying for yourself. And pray and say, God, I never want to stand before you with the blood of people on my hands. What a sight of calamity for a child of God that knows the truth to stand before him with the blood of lost people on our hands. But I want to stand before you and hear you say, well done, because I've been doing well in making disciples. Come on, talk to the Lord right now all over the building.